Okay, open your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter 14. So, if you guys are a part of the junior high class, uh, this will be your this will be your only day of being in here for this. But that's okay. Yes. So, it's Rules of Bible Study or Principles of Bible Study. Uh, I'm confusing Brianna because I think I called it Rules of Bible Study last week, but I told her the title of this series, Principles of Bible Study, so either one's fine. doesn't really matter. It's the same thing, basically. Um, so, last week we talked about context, just as a way of recap for those of you guys who weren't here, and for the rest of you who don't remember. About, so, when we're talking about studying the Bible or how to study the Bible or like these rules and principles of Bible study, it's as you read your Bible or specifically as you study your Bible, it's helpful to know like there's there's certain like tools that are helpful to know as you're reading and as you're studying so you can more easily identify maybe some trends that you see or you can um, pick up on some things or you can understand, okay, I know what's happening in this book, like this book is being written to the church. So these are some things that I can apply in my life directly because it's being written to the church and I'm part of the church. Or if you're reading in the Old Testament, you can say, oh, well, I know that this is written to the Jews because it's in the Old Testament. And so uh, I'm not, God's not telling me I should be making sacrifices of, of animals, right? That was something they did in the Old Testament. So this doesn't apply directly to me in that way, but there's some pictures of that. There's, okay, I do need to make sacrifices in my life like spiritually speaking, I need to give up things in order to, uh, you know, commit more time to the Lord. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights with our discipline study. So there's some, there's some things you can apply no matter where you're reading in the Bible, but, uh, based on the context, there's, it doesn't always directly apply to you. It wasn't necessarily written to you, even though there's things that you can get from it. So understand, like we, one of the verses we looked at last week, like one of the easiest verses for this idea of context, uh, in Psalms, there's a verse that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so we talked about, if you just took out the middle or the end of that phrase, you could say that the Bible says there is no God. Because the Bible does say that. But if you just read that one part and just say, oh, the, there is no God, you have to get the whole context of that verse, which is, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Meaning, of course there's a God. You'd be a fool to think that there wasn't one. And so context is important. If you take verses or phrases out of the Bible and you just say, oh, this is what this says. You have to understand kind of how it all fits together. Uh, it's the same way with any book or, I mean, if you watch any TV shows or a movie and you just like start in the middle and you just watch a couple scenes of this movie or maybe one episode of this show and you've never seen it before, it's you're not going to understand what's going on. You're not going to understand, you know, who these characters are. This person who's doing something bad, well, they're actually the good guy, but they're doing this bad thing because they're, you know, there's some plot story that you don't know about because you haven't watched the rest of the movie or the show. And so context is important for a lot of things, but specifically when we're trying to, like, figure out what's going on in the Bible, it's helpful to understand at least just basically, okay, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago, the book of Acts is a transitional book. So some of the things that are happening in Acts, you know, are a little bit weird or a little bit different, even though it is part of the New Testament. Um, so context is 
that was the first one we talked about because it's really important just to have a like a high level understanding of when you read the Bible and you're you're trying to apply things from the Bible, it's helpful to know what the context is of what's happening in that chapter or in that book or in that portion of the Bible. <clears throat> and so uh, so context is really important. So this morning um, we're talking about one that's a little bit. If you look at um, well, it's it's uh, the rule of order is what I'm calling it. Um, there's some, there's a bunch of these principles of Bible study. So our church has, um, in Discipleship 2, some of your guys' parents have been through D2. Uh, I think there's like 21 rules of Bible study that they cover in Discipleship 2. Um, that's not like a hard and fast rule. Like none of these are, it's not like you can go to a verse or a chapter in the Bible and here's all the rules of Bible study. It's not like, that. these are rules that like people have put together, just some like common principles that are helpful to know. So order is one. I kind of combined a couple different ones um, into this one principle. So this is kind of a combination of, of some things. But uh, this verse in, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, the last verse, it says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And so uh, Pastor Brian says this, I mean, I don't know, daily it seems like I hear him say this, about doing things decently and in order. You guys have probably heard him say that. Um, on a Sunday morning, he talks, he talks about this. God is a God of structure. God is a God of order. God is a God of, you know, uh, doing things in a certain order. And so for our lives, we need to be structured, you know, especially in our spiritual life, we need to be structured, uh, in such a way because if we're trying to be more like Christ, we need to be, uh, you know, having our lives in order. So like, uh, when someone wants to get baptized, right, they gotta get saved first. That's the order. Uh, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Baptism is after salvation, right? It doesn't help you get saved. It isn't part of salvation. It's it's separate, but it's, you know, the next step of obedience. And like uh, if someone wants to be part of the Lord's Supper, right, or communion, uh, they have to be at least saved. And Brian would say they need to be baptized also, right? Doing things decently and in order. Uh, there's an order to those things that um, if you take of the Lord's Supper when you're not saved, that... The whole point of it is that it's a picture of Jesus' death. Uh, you know, the the bread is the body and the grape juice is the blood. And so it's a, it's a picture of that. We're being reminded of. We're supposed to, um, you know, do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. Well, if you're not saved, then, then that meaning is missed, right? The picture is not there. And uh, same thing for baptism. You know, we're being baptized, we're being buried, and we're being rose again, just like Jesus was. So those are pictures. But if you do them in the wrong order, they that they don't make sense, right? It doesn't, they don't work in, in a different order. And so, um, you know, we can see order in everything that God does. Direct, definitely in the Bible, there's, there's an order to it. Uh, but even just like in creation, right, there's an order. There's a natural order to things. Um, you know, the, the circle of life, if you're a Lion King fan, there's a circle of life, right? The animals eat each other and... They eat the plants, and like there's a cycle, right? Everything goes in a cycle. God has structured things in such a way that, uh, you know, there's an order to it that it it works on its own. Uh, I think Oliver was wearing a shirt yesterday, uh, like the cycle, the water cycle, you know, like it rains and then it pools and then it evaporates, and there's a cycle even of water, right? There's like um, God is a God of order even in in His creation, 
And so um, I looked it up. There's the word order. How many times do you guys think the word order shows up in the Bible? Give me a guess. Just throw out the numbers. How many? 50? 15, sorry. 10, 42? 1, good guess. 87? 265? Twice? It's 61 times. Yes, 61 times. Um, almost all of them refer to setting something in order. So like uh, with the Levites and the the priests in the Old Testament, they were supposed to set the sacrifices in order. There was a certain order to which they had to do things. There was For a certain kind of sin, you had to have a certain kind of animal or maybe two of a certain kind of animal. And you had to do it in such a certain way. It was a very like ritualistic process. You had to do this, 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 drain this, you know, get rid of this part, burn this part, you know, all those things. The priest could eat a certain part of it. Um, so most of them are that. Uh, there's a few things in the New Testament where Paul talks about, like in this passage, do things decently and in order. So there's there things are to be done in a certain order, right? God is a God of order um, really throughout the entire Bible. And so, you know, when God put the Bible together, so our, our Bible, I don't know if you guys know this, but our Bible is not totally in chronological order. You guys know what chronological means? Like in timeline order? So obviously Genesis is the beginning, and Revelation is the end. Those two are in chronological order. But most of the rest of the Bible is not in chronological order. So meaning stuff doesn't happen in the same order that it... it the Bible is not put together in the same order that it happened timeline-wise. Yes. Yes, Job is... Oh, you're spilling your drink. You're spilling your drink. Go get some paper towels, bro. You might want to get the good paper towels in the tub on the floor in the bath, girls' bathroom. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So the so Job is the oldest book, is what Jackson said. So meaning it was written before the others. Obviously, the events of Genesis, like the creation, that had to happen first. Otherwise, Job wouldn't be here. But Job was alive around the same time as Abraham, which is like the early parts of the book of Genesis. And so, uh, so the Bible is, for the most, a lot of it is in chronological order, but not all of it. And so, you know, why did God put? the Bible together in the way that we have it now? Why didn't he put it together in chronological order for us? Uh, you know, why did God choose, you know, the certain words that he used? Why? I mean, God is a God of order and, and nothing nothing that he's done um, has just been randomly put together. And so... Um, I'm going to skip some of this. All right, so uh, as we look at the different rules of Bible study, if you think about any of you guys who have played sports, um, there's rules, right, to different sports. There's rules to different games. If you don't play by the rules, then it's not fair for everybody, right? It's going to be... You're going to be uh, confused about what's going on. If you're playing by the rules and someone else isn't playing by the rules, um, it's going to get out of control. The game's going to get out of control uh, quickly. And it's the same way with the Bible, that there's rules to studying the Bible. And if you don't know the rules of how to study the Bible, it's going to be difficult for you to follow them, right, if you don't know what they are. Uh, but if you don't follow the rules of Bible study, then you're going to, you are going to get out of control, spiritually speaking, um, pretty quickly. So, like, if... 
when we were talking about the book of Acts, I think it was last Wednesday night, we looked at um, Acts chapter 2. There's a verse that, that talks about how they had to be baptized in order to be saved. And if, if you read that verse and you're like, well, this is the New Testament, so this could apply to me. Um, this says we have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, I've always been told we don't have to be baptized to be saved. So which one is it? And if you don't understand the rules of Bible study, that that's taken out of context. That's a transitional book. There's, there's more to it than just what that verse says. If you miss that, then you're going to be confused about, oh, do I need to be, maybe, I haven't been baptized yet. Maybe I'm not saved. Uh, you know, you can, you can get confused on those things if, uh, if you don't understand some of the rules of Bible study. And so, uh, the other thing I want to point out too is that this study on rules of Bible study is not meant to, um, make you feel overwhelmed or like, well, I don't know all the rules, so I can't read the Bible. Okay. God is miraculous, right? I mean, you can read the Bible. Uh, a lost person can read the Bible and can get some stuff out of it. Right? A saved person can certainly read the Bible and get some stuff out of it. Uh, but when it comes to studying and like teaching the Word of God and even preparing a devotion, um, you want to understand some things. Otherwise, you're, you're going to get up and you're going to teach something that's inaccurate. And we don't want to do that. Um, so I don't want you to feel like if I don't know all the rules of Bible study, I can't actually understand the Bible because you can. And, and I don't want it to overwhelm you too because, uh, you know, God is, God is able to do uh, miraculous things in our life. But, uh, you know, like a baby or a toddler who's learning to walk, uh, that can be frustrating for them when they can't stand up on their own or when they let go of something and they immediately fall down, right? Babies will cry, something, usually not because it hurt them when they fell, but because they're frustrated because they, they want to be able to walk, but they can't. Or they want to be able to talk. If you talk, if you ever talk to like a toddler who can barely communicate, it can be frustrating for you to hear them trying, because you know they want something, right? They're crying about something. You're asking them what they want, but they can't like put the words together to be able to tell you what they want. Bryson checking and said, yes. Uh, it can be frustrating for you and it can be frustrating for them because they, they want to be able to say what they're trying to say, but they just can't put the words together. Um, as a spiritual baby, you can, it can be frustrating to like, I'm reading this passage. I have no idea what it's talking about. I don't get it. That can be frustrating, but as a baby grows up, okay, now none of us, I mean, I don't even think about walking anymore, right? I mean, I, I stand up and I walk, like it's not a problem anymore. Until you get older. Until I get older, until I'm like Ray, and Ray is thinking really hard about walking today, and it's difficult for him. Circle of life. Yeah, circle of life, yes. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I don't, I don't think about how to communicate anymore you know i don't think i don't i mean i do think about how to put my words together but it's not difficult for me to communicate what i'm trying to say to somebody so the older you get spiritually speaking the easier some of this will become like i don't i don't necessarily sit and think about i mean i do sometimes think about the context when i'm reading something especially if i don't understand it right away but uh but some of those i just know okay this is old testament this is new testament this is transition this is not whatever uh so some of these things will just get to be more natural the the more spiritually mature that you get. How did you have a question? But I'm past that point now. No. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay, so all of that to say, you guys can do all of the things uh, that I'm teaching you. Like th- these are not complicated principles to understand. Uh, if you're reading your Bible and you don't get something, you know, ask somebody. 
or you know reread it or try to think about the things that you do know about the Bible. Is it in the Old Testament? Who is this verse even talking to? Is this verse written to me? Is it a church book? Uh, is it not a church book? Is this should I apply this like directly to my life or should, is there is this a picture of something else? You know, you guys like you guys know some of those things. Maybe you don't know all the answers to those, but you guys have some ways that you can even when you're looking at the Bible, you can kind of think through some of these things. Like, in what scenario would this make sense? Is the Bible wrong? Is you know, I've always heard it this way, but this sounds like this. Okay, the Bible is right. Okay, just start with that as the premise that the Bible is right. And okay, so I've always heard it this way, but the Bible says this. Which one of these is is wrong? Which one of these is right? Okay, the Bible is going to be right. Uh, go from there, but. Um, yeah, so hopefully that is a little bit helpful for you. I have another quote. I gave you guys a quote last week if you were here uh, from Adrian Rogers. This this one's from a guy named R.A. Torrey, which I think your dad likes R.A. Torrey a lot. Isn't he a big R.A. Torrey fan? Uh, this guy wrote a book called How to Study the Bible. This is the quote that's in it uh, that I think will be helpful for this study. It says, It must be remembered, however, that the Bible contains gold. And almost anyone is willing to dig for gold, especially if it is certain that he will find it. It is certain that one will find gold in the Bible if he digs. Okay, so like if I told you, you know, out here right in front of the playground in the grass, there's gold in the ground. uh, And I gave you guys shovels. Most of you guys would go out there and start digging for gold, right? Because you, if I told you for sure there's gold out there, you would dig for it. Okay, this this quote he's saying, the Bible has gold, like spiritual gold exists in the pages of this Bible. Um, but sometimes you got to dig for it. Okay, sometimes you're going to be reading and God's just going to give you something that's going to be like, wow, I've never seen that before. That is so cool. Sometimes you start digging a little bit and you're like, oh, I think this, this word, I've heard that word before. Get out my phone, look it up. Okay, that word is also in this other verse. Oh, that's really cool. These two verses are connected by this one word. And this goes with this. And you start putting some stuff together. And then you're like, then you're kind of starting to dig, and there's all kinds of stuff we're going to get into a little bit this morning, of just ways that if you don't know, if you if you haven't seen it before, it may be like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about, but when you start putting things together, and you start using cross references, and you start thinking about this verse, talking about this verse, and that reminds me of this other thing, and you start seeing how the whole Bible is connected. Some of you, I don't, have any of you guys seen that? I was going to have it here, but I didn't put a PowerPoint together. But there's that picture that somebody put together of all the cross-references in the Bible. It's like It looks like a rainbow, kind of. Has anybody seen that? Nobody knows what I'm talking about? The adults know what I'm talking about? Some of us? Okay. Well, once class is over, get your phone out. Google, I don't know, cross-references, picture, rainbow, something like that. There's like, I think it's 63,000 uh, connections in this in this one image and it just shows all the cross references of the whole Bible and the way that it's all put together it's just like this perfect arc and it's all color co- color coordinated uh, it's really cool but the Bible I mean there are 63,000 cross references is what this these two guys that worked on this project came up with uh, there may be more than that I don't know but 63,000 different connections within the Bible to other verses in the Bible um, that's amazing God, God, the way God put his Bible together is is awesome. Uh, there's one more verse that we're going to look at in the New Testament. Flip over to Second Timothy. This is kind of the theme verse for the study. We read it last week, but some of you guys were not here or have forgotten, so we're going to read it again, and then we'll get into the uh, 
the rule. So 2 Timothy 2.15 It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, so the Bible says that we are supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Not approved in the way that like, you know, we have to earn God's love or God's favor. Uh, but God wants us, he, he desires for us to dig into the word and study it out. Okay, uh, A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It is work to dig and study. If you had to go out here and dig for gold, if you ever dug a hole even for like a small plant with a shovel, that can be really hard sometimes. Um, it, the ground can be hard. It's just, it's difficult work, especially if you've not done it for a while or done it before. Uh, you're using muscles that you haven't done before. It's the same way whenever you're, you're working into, in the Word of God. When you're digging and studying out the Word of God, it can take a lot of time. It can be, you're using muscles that you haven't used before, right? I'm, I'm using a concordance. I've never used a concordance before. I'm having to look up the meaning of some of these words because I don't know what they mean. Okay, this is time consuming. It's taking me some work that I'm putting into this. Uh, but we're doing that so that we can rightly divide the word of truth because the Bible has divisions in it, right? There's Old Testament, there's New Testament, there's seven dispensations, which we'll talk about at some point in this study. Uh, there's all kinds of things in the Bible that it takes work. You can't just, you know, read it one time and you just automatically know everything and are under, able to understand how everything all fits together. It takes work to, to learn those things. And so... Um, so it's important that we remember if it, if you spend some time reading and studying the Word of God, it it is going to feel like work because there is work involved in it. Alright, so flip over to Genesis. Spend the rest of our time in Genesis. Uh, got a couple different passages. Genesis chapter 5, start there. So the main uh, one, main part of this principle of order that we're going to start talking about, we'll, we'll continue it next week, but uh, the rule of first mention, or the law of first mention. So uh, I talk about this one fairly regularly in here. So if you've been in here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about uh, the rule of first mention. So what is the rule of first mention? Somebody who has been in here and has heard me say this. Jessa, what is the rule of first mention? You don't know? Amy? Look at me like that. Audrey? Yeah. So the way, uh, the way that God uses a word or a phrase for the first time sets the tone for how he's going to use it going forward. Um, it is a rule, not a law. It's not every single time it has to follow this exact method. But for the most part, when you look up a word... Uh, and you see the first time that it shows up, that is how God generally will use that word or that phrase throughout the Bible. So it, it gives us a lot of helpful information to know the first time that it shows up. Generally, if I'm doing some kind of a study, uh, I'm gonna, and I come across a, like a unique word, not like the or and or, you know, something like that. Generally, it's more of a, of a unique word, maybe that, uh, so like this first one we're gonna look at is the word heart. Okay, that's a common word. The Bible uses the word heart a lot. But uh, the first time that it shows up, I'll go and I'll look that up. Where's the first time that it shows up? How does God use the word heart the first time that it shows up? 
I'll look up, you know, maybe what the definition of heart is, right? Is it talking about like a physical heart inside of my body? Is it talking about my heart for the Lord? Is it talking about the Lord's heart for me? Is it talking about, you know, uh, God's heart for his people Israel? Like there's different ways that God could use the word heart. So this is not going to like totally be exact every time through, but generally it, it will give us kind of a, a principle that we can use for uh, how God's going to use the word heart. So the very first time that the word heart shows up is in Genesis chapter 5. And so, um, no, sorry, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, but I'll start in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass, this is where it's talking about the flood. Okay, so, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took, they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of man came in unto the daughters of men, that they bare children unto them, the same became mighty men which were, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Okay, so that's actually the first two mentions of the word heart. Okay, So the first one in verse 5, it says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, so this, talking about man's heart, God from God's perspective, God is saying, man's heart is wicked. Okay? Everything he thinks about, all the imaginations of his heart, are only evil continually. Uh, you guys can turn there if you want, but uh, I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 17. If you don't go there, I'll just read it real quick. should have put the verse in my notes. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 <coughs> says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then uh, Proverbs 4.23, that's the theme verse for... Uh, life issues. I should probably be able to quote it, but I'm going to misquote it. So I'm going to look it up. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Okay, so almost all the time when the Bible uses the word heart and it's talking about man's heart, it has to do with wickedness, deceit, evil, like there's a lot of problems. Out of the heart arise all the issues of life. Okay, Life issues is called that because uh, they're dealing with people's issues of addiction uh, that arise out of our heart. Our heart's desire for, you know, whatever. Um, and it leads to addiction. So that's why they called that ministry that. Um, so almost all the time when you see man's heart being talked about in the Bible, it's wicked. Okay, That's why it's dangerous, the idea of like follow your heart. Right? That's, that's a, uh, something that the world teaches us, but everything that the Bible says about man's heart is that it's bad. Right? Uh, out of it come all the issues of life. Okay, but in that second verse, in verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. This is God's heart we're talking about. And God's heart was grieved because of how wicked and how evil man had become. And so God is like sorrowful that he is even created man, right? So he's about to wipe everyone off the face of the planet except these eight people in in um, 
and Noah's family. So when we're talking about God's heart, God's heart is pure. God's heart is perfect. God's heart is righteous. God's heart is, you know, towards us, even though we're wicked. Right? So when, when we're talking about God's heart or God's heart for something, um, that's the opposite of our heart. Right? So when, when the Bible talks about it in Acts, that David was a man after God's own heart. You guys heard that verse before, or that phrase about David? He was a man after God's own heart. Okay, that's not talking about David's heart. With David's life, he was trying to follow after the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. Right? That That's the kind of heart that we should be... Um, aspiring to. Uh, he followed God in, in almost every area of his life. <clears throat> uh, of course, he had some, some shortcomings for sure, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. I'll read it in a moment. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Okay, and then in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verse 14. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Okay, you can see that kind of stuff over and over. So, uh, you know, we are supposed to follow God with all of our heart. Why? Because our heart is wicked. And if, if left to its, if left to itself, if, if we just leave our heart to follow after the things that it wants to follow after, it's gonna follow after evil, wicked, uh, out of it are gonna arise issues in our life. Okay? If we, if we allow our heart to just do what it wants. So that's why we need to follow God with our whole heart and our whole mind, right? Because, uh, left to ourselves, we're gonna be, we're gonna be in problems. And then that, that verse in, uh, chapter 18, or chapter 8 that I read, uh, you know, we, Israel allowed their heart to drift away from God, even though He had delivered them from Egypt. They allowed it to drift away from God, and immediately they were in sin, right? They're building false, idols in the in the wilderness they're they're wandering off the path uh, of following the Lord and so if we follow our own hearts it's going to lead to to bad places right if we set our heart and we set our affection on things above like we talked about on Wednesday night uh, that's going to give us you know the right path because God's heart is is perfect and pure so that's that's one uh, example of the first mention of the word heart you could say, I mean, there's, I don't know how many times the word heart shows up. I didn't look it up. Uh, it's probably hundreds of times, right? If you start looking at all those verses, you'll kind of see this trend. Man's heart is wicked unless it's focused on God like Samuel's was. And then God says he was a man after his own heart. Um, but that, that pattern will mostly hold true throughout the whole Bible. If you follow your heart, it's going to lead you away from God. If you follow God's heart, it's going to lead you into a better relationship with him. Um, so that's the principle that you can get uh, from that word heart. Uh, I talked about this several months ago, but turn to Genesis chapter 24. <coughs> this was one of the coolest ones that... Uh, I don't even remember exactly how I came across it, but uh, Genesis 24, verse 53. It's the first mention of the word precious. You guys might remember, remember us talking about this uh, several months ago. But it's that, so this is where Isaac um, is about to get a wife, right? Uh, Abraham sent his servant to go get a wife for Isaac, and uh, so he goes and he tells uh, he tells is retelling the story basically, and it says, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah, 
he gave also uh, to her brother and to her mother precious things. Okay, so this is, he's, he's at this lady's house and he's like, hey, uh, I want to take your daughter back to my master's son so that they can get married. And he tells the story about how I was praying to God and then Rebecca showed up and she was exactly the answer to this prayer that I was praying and I, she's the right one for my master's son. I want to take her. Uh, here's some stuff, right? They used to pay a, like a dowry. So he gives her, her family these precious things in order to purchase this wife for his master's son. And so this word precious, uh, if you look at First Peter chapter 1, I don't know how many of you guys turn a lot, but I'll read it when I get there. First Peter 1, verse uh, 19, if you're taking notes. It says, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so, the word precious, in, that, in, the, in the verse in Genesis, it's... He's giving up something that's precious in order to purchase this wife. And then in 1 Peter, it says that Jesus' blood is precious. Well, Jesus' blood is what it cost for him to purchase us as his bride. Okay, the, Without the blood of Christ, we cannot be part of the body of Christ. We cannot be the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. Okay, So Jesus, with the most precious thing in the world, his own blood, purchased us to be his bride. And the first mention of the word purchase is a guy purchasing a wife with something precious. Okay, that's that's the first mention of that word precious. And uh, without doing an entire word study on the word precious, uh, that's kind of how God uses that. There's He doesn't not everything is just precious. Okay, uh, you know God reserves that for certain things. In this case, it's it's uh, you know precious stones and things to purchase a wife, but. It's ultimately a picture of Jesus' blood that is perfect and precious that is used to purchase us as his wife. Uh, you can do this with tons of words. I mean, that's two words, uh, heart and precious. I had another one in my notes, uh, the word love. The first time the word love shows up is in Genesis chapter 22. Um, it's talking about when God tells Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac. And he's like, I know you love Isaac, right? I think it's lovest is the word that shows up, but it's the first time that the word love shows up in any form. So God doesn't use the word love when he's talking about his creation, right? He says his creation was good, but he never says that he loves his creation. Uh, obviously, he does love his creation, but it doesn't use that word. Uh, it doesn't talk about love when it's talking about uh, Noah. It doesn't talk about love when it's talking about Adam and Eve. The first time that love shows up is how Abraham loves Isaac and God is asking him or commanding him to go sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. Okay. Also, a couple of verses after that is the first time the word worship shows up. And so God is telling us uh, by saying, okay, the very first time I'm talking about love is how much this guy loves his son. Okay. And then like two verses later, this is the first time I'm using the word worship. And I'm using the word worship saying Abraham is going to go worship the Lord by sacrificing, by killing his own son. Okay. Giving up something that he loves in order to worship the Lord. So th- that's two more words that if you study those words out, the word love is in the Bible, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times. And love, loved, lovest, all these different forms of the word love. But God's setting the tone in Genesis 22 saying, there's going to be things in this life that you love, and you're going to have to give those things up if you really truly want to worship the Lord. 
um, hopefully, you know, we're not going to be having to physically give up, uh, you know, our our children. But you know, sometimes we got to remember that, like, God is more important than uh, our children. God is more important than our own lives, right? And it takes sacrifice. It takes giving up things that we desire, things that we love, in order to worship Him. It takes time. You have to give up some of your time if you want to spend, uh, if you want to worship the Lord in uh, studying His Word, right? That's going to take some of your time. You have to give something up for that, uh, which ties in kind of with what we're talking about on Wednesday nights with um, with our discipline study. So uh, we'll, we'll look at a few more next week and a little bit more of this idea of order uh, since the first mention is just kind of the beginning of that. But if you ever, if you come across a word that you don't really know what it means, uh, obviously you can look the definition up. You can Google it. That's going to give you maybe a, a decent answer. Uh, your strongest concordance will give you a better answer uh, as far as how God uses it in the Bible. But just go look up the first time that word shows up in the Bible and just kind of read that chapter or read that verse or that passage and just look at how God uses it the very first time. Uh, because if it's somewhat of a unique word, again, not like the or and or a place, um, you know, God's going to have a, a pattern of the way he sets that up. And uh, it's really cool to just look through some of those things. Uh, even for words like love that show up hundreds of times in the Bible, uh, you can kind of get an idea of how God's going to use that uh, throughout the Bible. And that, I mean, that goes to like Genesis, or not Genesis, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, okay? God is going to give up or did give up his son for us because he loved him, right? Abraham was supposed to be giving up the son that he loved uh, in order to worship the Lord. So there's there's a lot of tie-ins and a lot of crossover um, because that pattern that gets established from the very first time God uses a word. Because he's a God of order, because these things are not just randomly put together, anybody who, who spends time studying the word of God can understand that, you know, this wasn't just, it was written physically by, by man's hand, but man, no man could put this all together, uh, in the way that God has, has done it. And so if you pay attention to the order and kind of start to understand some of these things, it will really help you, uh, as you study the Bible. All right. Let's pray. We are perfectly out of time. Dear God, thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for, uh, just a chance to get together, God. I pray for Ray this morning as he's, uh, in bed hurting, God. I pray that you would just, uh, be with him, help him heal his back and, and get him, uh, back on track. And God, just thank you for, um, just allowing us to have combined class this morning. And God, I thank you for this, uh, this study on the principles or the rules of, of studying your word. I thank you for the way that you've, uh, just put everything together. God, I, I don't understand all of it. Uh, God, none of us perfectly understand your word, but, uh, but God, I do thank you that you're a God of order and that if we kind of follow some steps and some, some rules and some guidelines, God, that we can, uh, really get a good handle on some of the things that you're trying to teach us. And so I thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand what it is that we're reading. And God, I pray that uh, everyone in this room, God, would just desire to be a student of your word and that we would uh, be that workman, God, put in the put in the work in order to, uh, to get some things out of your word, God, that maybe we wouldn't see just reading through it. So uh, I pray for this upcoming service. I thank you for bringing Pastor Brian and his family back to us. And I uh, just pray that this would be a, a good service this morning. And just ask your blessing on the rest of our weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. What's back on track? Get his back on track. Get his back on track.